you're only going to train hard if you have a date on the calendar. If you have a race coming up, that's going to force you to train hard. Otherwise, you're going to sit in the house. You're going to do the bare minimum. You might even skip a few days. You'll sneak a few cookies. You'll drink a few glasses of wine because it doesn't mean anything. If there's no date, there's nothing holding you accountable. You can quit. Plug into the minds of the world's cutting-edge innovators, visionaries, and thought leaders. Rewriting the rules of high performance at work. It's your time to make an impact. I am your host, Jason Campbell, and this is Superhumans at Work, a Mind Valley podcast. Hi, everybody. This is Jason Mark Campbell. Welcome back to Superhumans at Work. We have not a superhuman, but another name that I'm very inspired as an identity for people that want to do things in a great, powerful, and extreme way. Spartan, the CEO and founder of Spartan Races himself, Joe DeSena, is going to be joining us. And for those of you who are not familiar with Spartan Races, we're talking about an organization that does obstacle course racing, these extreme races that run for kilometers, doing obstacles through the mud, trails, etc. Yet you see thousands and thousands of people join together and complete these obstacles and cross that finish line. Why do they do it? And how do you operate such a business is something I want to dig into a little deeper. What's the core need that people were looking into to start doing things like that? And are there some of those qualities that you can translate within the workplace? I know for myself, this is something I really step into as an identity. I'm a big advocate and a raving fan of this sport. So it's my big pleasure to have Joe here, who's not only been the CEO and founder of Spartan, but this man has also written best-selling New York Times books such as Spartan Up, Spartan Fit, and his most recent book, The Spartan Way. He has done keynote speeches around the world. He's done so many obstacle courses himself, such as 50 ultra events overall, Aeroman events, and put together this whole idea around Spartan. Now, get this, the vision of Spartan races, which we're going to go deeper into, is to get 100 million people healthy and off the couch. There's only 95 million to go and get obstacle course racing or recognized as an Olympic sport and a guide for the kids to be badass, productive, and happy when they're out on their own. This is going to be an amazing conversation. Joe DeSena, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. Let's do it. I love it. Now, there's something a bit crazy around the idea of Spartan itself. I'd love to go back to the beginnings. Like, how did this start? Like, is this something that you're just like, you've always had this plan or did it kind of fall on your lap? How did you transition yourself into creating this, this mecca of obstacle course racing called Spartan? You know, I got to go back to the 1970s. I grew up in organized crime capital of the world. Literally, if you saw the movie Goodfellas, it's where I grew up. My mom found yoga, meditation, and health food back then. It was like the one health food store in all of New York she stumbled into. She wanted to get away from the raviolis and the sausage and peppers and the crappy food and the cigarettes in the 70s. Her mother had cancer. While she was in this health food store, a yogi from India had just landed at Kennedy Airport, came into the store. They met each other. They got to know each other. And somehow my mother bought into this idea of a healthy lifestyle. My parents ultimately got divorced because it was so opposite of everything going on in the neighborhood. She moved my sister and I to Ithaca, New York, which was a little more hippie-ish, a little crunchy. Cornell University, Ithaca University is in upstate New York there. And they're more academic. They're just open-minded to this kind of stuff. And she started teaching yoga. She started teaching meditation. She got people converted from you know, paleo diets to vegan diets. And I watched this happen over 20 plus years. 
I wasn't having any part of it. I wasn't really bought in because I wanted to be a, a tough guy. I wanted to go back to the neighborhood. I wanted to make money and someday have a Cadillac. She saw that I was interested more in that, was I tough enough kind of journey? And she introduced me to a race that was put on back then by one of her gurus that she had met in this circle of folks that came over from India called the Transcendence Run. And it still takes place and it's in Queens, New York, not far from where I grew up, around a one mile loop, 3,100 miles. And so, hey, you wanna be tough? Tough isn't going to jail, tough isn't killing people, tough is running around a one mile loop 3,100 times. And so she started to get into, you know, through osmosis, right? She started to get into my brain. I eventually made my way to Wall Street. I graduated college, made my way to Wall Street and found myself making money, but not feeling very healthy, not feeling great. And then I finally opened up to my mother's ideas. And I started racing, I started doing yoga, I started eating healthy, I started bringing in raw food experts to our office. And I couldn't convince, I begged people to follow this healthier lifestyle. But you know, everybody wanted to go out drinking and partying. And I just took on this new identity, this new life. I chased these crazy races around the world. And 21 years ago, in 2000, I decided, you know what, I'm going to start putting on races, really crazy races, 350 miles, 500 miles, paddling, biking, coastaleering, because I was participating in them. I was doing them myself. The harder it was, the more interesting it was. Problem was, I couldn't get anybody to do these races. And so for 10 years, from 2000 to 2010, I just lost a bunch of money. I used to lie to people that I knew and say, Hey, come up to Vermont. We're going to have a barbecue or come here. We're going to do this. But it really wasn't a barbecue. They were the ones being barbecued. I was going to have them race, but they didn't know it. And then in 2010, after the financial crisis, I was kind of done. I didn't want to lose any more money. I was exhausted trying to convince people to eat healthy and do this stuff. And a friend of mine said, hey, I'm going to call it Spartan. Why don't you make it like more military obstacle racing? you know, obstacles people can go over and the obstacles that emulate life. And so I did it. I think 700 people showed up for the first race and then 1500 people showed up. And that was more people than I had had in 10 years total. So clearly we had something, it was shorter distance. It was three miles, 5k, 10k and a full marathon. Half marathon for the beast, right? Yeah. 5k, 10k, 20k. I'm thinking of miles. So it was three miles, eight miles, and then the Ultra Beast was a full marathon. Anyway, people chased this stuff. It was insane. And before you know it, we were in 45 countries, 325 events, obstacles everywhere, obstacles coming out of my friggin' everywhere. <laughs> and we were in a battle with Tough Mudder, you know, the whole time. Tough Mudder had started. They were our main competitor. You didn't really see them in Asia because I moved to Asia to beat them there. And then right before COVID, we finally won the battle with them. We bought them. We acquired them. We are the obstacle racing company, the sport globally, the two biggest brands in this sport. And then we decided let's get into trail racing also, because there's a lot of people that don't want to do obstacles and their obstacle is actually a mountain or a series of mountain or a mountain range. And so we started putting on Spartan trail races. Then we started a fitness event called Spartan Deca because there's a lot of people they go to the gym and they'll never come crawl under barbed wire, but we want to get them fit as well. So we started DECA 
I was feeling like I was on top of the world. I was King Spartan. I bought out most of my partners and then COVID hit. Just when you finally, after 20 years, you finally get one step from the top of the mountain and you're feeling like I could rest for a second, boom, punched in the face. COVID hit, shut down 45 countries, 325 events. Here we are. Man, this is a hardcore journey, Joe. Hats off. I know that the moment that happened, you didn't just, you know, fold the cards and say like, all right, well, this is it. We're not doing events anymore. So let's just fold the castle. You guys have been doing a bunch of things to pivot. And I want to maybe dig more into that because I know you've had to do transitions online. So what were the big things that you worked on to be able to pull through? You've went through a series of acquisitions. Now you don't have events going on. So like what's going through your head and how does that Spartan mentality keep you going through this tough time? It's easy in some ways because you don't have a choice. We had a bunch of businesses in Vermont and I thought, you know, I'm going to help out young people that want to own a farm or own a bed and breakfast or own a general store or wedding business. We built all these little businesses while we were building Spartan. And I thought when I was young and I was building my first business, I didn't really have a lot of help financially, whatever. So what if I was to, for example, with the farm, what if I was to get the cows and the chickens and the greenhouses, have it all set up? find somebody young like yourself, tell you, here are the keys to the farm. You're going to have a leg up, unlike what most entrepreneurs have. You're going to do well. You're not going to have the pressure of paying a mortgage or having to buy cattle. And what I found over the same 10 years, those first 10 years of building the race business, what I found was that most people quit. They literally, in the middle of the night, they pack up and leave. And after a decade of watching that happen, I realized, oh, my God, I have it wrong. If you give people these things, of course they can quit because they can. They didn't sell their children. They didn't mortgage their parent. Like nothing bad was going to happen if they just packed up and left. Maybe a little reputational issue with me. But other than that, no big deal. So when you ask, Joe, how'd you do it? Like, I had no fucking choice. Hmm. Mm. I would have liked to just pack up and leave, but you can't. So I tell people all the time, when you're building a business, you need to be on the hook. And that's why, by the way, here's a little plug for our business. That's why you're only going to train hard if you have a date on the calendar. If you have a race coming up, that's going to force you to train hard. Otherwise, you're going to sit in the house. You're going to do the bare minimum. You might even skip a few days. You'll sneak a few cookies. You'll drink a few glasses of wine. Because it doesn't mean anything if there's no date. There's nothing holding you accountable. You can quit. You can't quit when you're going to show up with six friends to a Spartan race on June 1st. You better train. Yeah. We got together five friends. We went to go race in Philippines, actually, in the Subic Forest. And they had the typhoon Mangkut just hit, right? But it was just five days notice to go do a beast. And nobody had trained for anything. We didn't miss a single day of training. The mindset doesn't even have time for distraction. You're just like laser focus and go. Now, how many people work at Spartan right now? Pre-COVID, we were 505. Now, 150-ish. For the 150-ish that you have, like, what are the type of things and qualities you look for in the people that you decide to work with? Because I'm assuming you'd have these same types of qualities you want to see from entrepreneurs, or do you have a very different parameter when you look to bring people on your team? Well, you know, when you're building a business like we are and you're, you're going so fast and you're all over the world, we look for anybody with a heartbeat <laughs> willing to go. But now, now it's like they better have a fucking great personality. They better have 
tireless energy. They better be able to solve problems, not tell us about problems. You know, and if they check those three boxes, I don't really care if they don't have perfect domain expertise, but you know, who wants to be around somebody that's draining energy, right? That's complaining, that's not getting it done. That's not 24 seven. I don't, I don't want to be around those people. Hey, everybody that listens to Superhumans at Work, know that all of these episodes are recorded with a live studio audience. Mindvalley members get a chance to join these sessions with the author themselves while we record these sessions. And at the end of every show, they actually get to participate in a Q&A session as well. If ever you're interested in joining Mindvalley All Access and become a member yourself, you'll get access to all the incredible courses from Mindvalley and so much more to be involved with Superhumans at Work, the Mindvalley podcast, and all the other incredible features when you become a member. We are disrupting the way that education works for the 21st century, and we want you to be a part of it. Go to mindvalley.com forward slash superhuman so you can learn more about this incredible offer, which will cost you less than $2 a day. That's mindvalley.com forward slash S-U-P-E-R-H-U-M-A-N. There's a period that I want to go back with you here, Joe, because you start Spartan Race. You're doing these things for a while. It's kind of like draining. It's not successful. You do the first under Spartan. There's some level of success. But then the story moves really quick. Like you're up in 45 countries and that whole period seems like it moved on really, really fast. But I wanted to kind of slow it down because I feel like this is always the story. Like even if I read Steve Jobs' biography, I go through it in the history of Apple. It's like they're in a garage, they're selling a couple of computers. Then suddenly there's computers around the world and they're like multi-million dollars. And I'm like, wait a second, what, what happened in that crazy period? So I'd want to take you back there and tell me like, how did it start from just being like, yeah, I'm doing a race to like, oh my God, we're building an empire. When you describe it, it sounds like that happened with the snap of a finger, but it, was, <laughs> it wasn't like that. I mean, Tough Mudder was a competitor. They popped up very early on. They were formidable. I don't like to lose. Competition, you know, makes both parties raise their game. And so if they added a race to Wisconsin, I added a race to California. If they added a race to Australia, I added a race in Poland, <laughs> but like, I was not going to lose, right? And then they had one race, I had two. They had one country, I had three. They're thinking of going to Asia, great, I'm gonna move to Asia. Whatever they were gonna do, that really kept me going. And then we had investors and we had sponsors and they wanted to see us grow as well. And we wanted to, we wanted to ride the wave of excitement about this. I wanted to get the message out to the world. And if I was gonna do it, if we were gonna do it, I wasn't gonna half-ass it. I'd be curious to know, you've built a team up to 500 at some point, but as you were doing this, you probably had some key players that were supporting you along the journey. Can you talk more about those people that you had on your side? Like, How did they end up joining with you? And what were some of the key responsibilities that you were able to work with these key people that were with you along the ride? You want me to get my first employee on the phone? Let's do it. <laughs> yeah, let's see if he'll answer. He was our first employee. He was a young kid out of college. And I just said, we were at war. Right. And the most important thing when you're starting a business is getting customers. And so the message was any breathing moment you have where you're not sleeping, you go to college dorms and knock on doors. You go into businesses, you stop in gyms. If you're going to go to gyms, his name is Ben. If you're going to go to gyms, how many gyms are you going to go see a day? I think I can get to 10. Great. You got to do 50. How am I going to do 50? I don't fucking know, but you better do 50 gyms a day and then you better get somebody else to do 50 gyms a day. 
and we got to get somebody overseas. Like, we just went absolutely nuts. Here, hold on. Here's our first employee. Hey, Ben, what was it like when I first hired you? You were the first employee. Was it pretty easy? Easy? (laughs) (laughs) So, if you remember, when Murph and I showed up to the office thinking that we were going to work on events, the first thing he did was send us down to the farm to start chopping wood. (laughs) So we didn't even get to work in an event or even work on anything until we went and did farm chores. So this was the first day we came back to your house in your kitchen and you charged us. And we're still in school, by the way. And you charged us with writing the business plan. We hooked us up with Sean Bain and a bunch of crazy people. We had no idea who they were and sent us and gave us less than 24 hours to get it done. So easy? I don't think so. I think whoever's working for you today has it easy. And did it get easier over time? No, it got harder because we grew and we got huge and massive and we were dealing with millions of people and and more and more employees and more and more events and everything that happens when you grow as a business, things don't usually get easier. They usually get harder and more complex. But you always stayed in nice hotels and you had really good per diems for food. (laughs) The first trip, I know you know all this, but I guess we have to tell the rest of the world. The first trip I was sent on was to New York. And if you remember, you had bought that, that old shoe factory or shoe store or whatever the heck it was that was in complete remodel. The doors were falling off and you wanted me to go buy a tent from Walmart and set it up inside of this abandoned shoe store that was like condemned. The building was condemned, I'm pretty sure. And you wanted me to set it up and camp out inside of that place. I know you remember that. And Ann Hallaby found out she was mortified and she put me up at her house in Garden City. And you're complaining about a tent. Most people don't even get a tent. But you had you always had good food and you got to bed early. <laughs> uh, food? You know, honestly, if I give you credit for anything, it's that you made sure we were at least fed. The running account at the general store was pretty solid. Even the Germans in World War II, they realized, and and Napoleon realized, you had to feed the troops. I made sure you were always fed. You might have been cold, tired, wet, no place to sleep, but I always fed you. I just think that you must remember just all the phone calls you'd get from me when I was out of money on the road because somebody in accounting didn't make a deposit, and I'm calling you, and you're probably in bed. You know, trying to sleep, your wife's next to me, and I'm screaming at you at 10 o'clock at night that I need money because I can't stay in a hotel and I can't buy food. And what did I do? Did I hang up on you or did I help out? No, you told me to call Chris, Chris Zoo. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. This is great. Wait, wait. This is great. I completely forgot. You're going to love this. The audience is going to love this. We needed a bookkeeper dedicated to Spartan. And so I called a friend of mine. And they had a, I don't know if he had gone to Columbia, he'd gone to one of the Ivy League schools, very sharp kid, studied accounting. And I said, could you do accounting on this new business we have, Spartan? It's moving really fast. We're going into countries. He moved into the office. We set up a mattress. He slept in the office. We had a 24-hour, remember that? We had a 24-hour accountant. And you're going to love this. I'm so glad we brought this up because one day he walks over to me and he says, Oh my God, yesterday we had a really good day. He was tracking the numbers. 
And it was like, whatever, it was like 1100 entries or something had gotten sold. And prior to that, it was, you know, 80, 70, 60, and it was 1100. And I said, oh, you must have an error in your Excel spreadsheet. There must have got to be something wrong. But no, we had finally, something had finally worked. And that was it. That was the beginning. Thanks. All right. We'll see you. Bye-bye. That was signature moment and awesome. Thank you, Ben and Joe for me. <laughs> what we understand is you're good at feeding people and that's enough. <laughs> you just got to keep them fed. But, you know, this is really important for everybody to listen to, which is in those early days, you've got to make sure people have a passion for what you're doing. And what you just heard in his voice and Ben's voice was we all had a real passion for doing what we were doing. Our goal was to change lives. It was much bigger than ourselves. And it was exciting being kind of broke and trying to make it work. You know what I mean? Like there's some real camaraderie around that. It wouldn't have felt the same if we were in a really cushy office and well-funded. And I don't know, it made us work harder. It made us more likely to become successful. There was a guy who gave a talk at an A-Fest, my first A-Fest I went to, which is one of Valley's events. His name is Kylie Nung. He runs 500 Startups, which is like a venture fund here in Southeast Asia now. But he talked about how there's a stage of startups that he calls the heist. You've seen like Ocean's Eleven and all the follow-ups that aren't as interesting, but that idea of like you're getting together and you're building something epic, it's like a heist, right? Everybody gets excited. Everybody is a specialist in their own thing and everyone's hustling. And it just creates that crazy culture, which I'm sure there's a lot of that that still lives on to the Spartan today. Isn't that right? No doubt about it. I, I like that word a lot. And coming from the neighborhood I come from, I'm going to use that more, the heist, because it sucks when you start to lose that. I'll send you a video about this because I think you'll absolutely love this because it hits the nail right on the head. And Joe, this has been such a fun conversation. And I have to close it with like, you already touched on passion. And I just want to understand like, why? Like, why is this so important to you that makes you go on this journey that you're still on a journey now? You got these big goals and this big vision. What makes you do this? You know, we get a lot of emails. I specifically get emails from folks, from 11-year-old kids, from grandmothers, from people that are back with their husband, back with their wife. They lost 300 pounds. They gave up drugs. They gave up alcohol. They eat healthy. They started a business. They're able to get by with 11 kids living in the Bronx as a single mom because they do Spartan events. I've run into the chief marketing officer of Home Depot with his family on an airplane. And they're like, oh my God, we got to get a picture with you. We go all around the world doing Spartan races. It helps us as a family. So that's why we do it. It changes lives. Like a couch and Netflix does not change your life. A chocolate cake does not change your life. A podcast, I have a podcast, you have a podcast, does not change your life. Doing hard shit has the potential to change your life. You know, go for a run in the rain, take an ice cold shower, do 300 burpees in the morning, carry around a kettlebell, but do something hard. Now, I'll end it with this. If this was the 1700s and we were on a podcast and you had a string and a, and a cup to your ear and I had a string and a cup to my ear, I would say, look, we need more couches in Netflix, right? People are living in mud and they're sick and disease, but that's not the case. For a large part of the world, we've got too much and mm -hmm. we have it too easy. And that's got some you know, negative consequences. So I'm the antithesis of that. Ladies and gentlemen, that was Joe DeSena, founder, CEO of Spartan Race. I hope you're feeling as charged up as I am after this amazing conversation. What an incredible journey. Joe, thank you so much for coming here and sharing these words. This was so much fun. Just going through this entrepreneurial journey is just like, you see what it takes. 
you can see what it takes to make something as successful that grows fast. And the whole thing looks like a whole lot of roller coaster ride, but a whole lot of fun in the process too. It was great to bring Ben on the call as well to just give us an insight as well. So this is one of the most entertaining, fun podcasts to go through. So all you superhumans out there that are listening on the podcast, make sure you add a little accolade here and maybe add that Spartan name to yourself too. See how it changes the decision you make in your life and go do something hard. Go do something hard and see how it transforms your mindset whenever you show up to work as well. Maybe you have a day that you want to complain and you're feeling like you're a little down. As Joe has suggested, maybe you should go run in the rain, carry a kettlebell, but do something hard and see how it starts making your life a little more exciting, a little more energized, and a little more fun in the process too. Joe, thank you so much. Once again, everybody, thanks for tuning in to Superhumans at Work. I'm very grateful for all of you who tune in on a regular basis, listening to these amazing interviews with these guests that I get to find. Now, if you're subscribed to the show, definitely leave us a review if you can and share it with friends so that we can spread the message and get more people to be able to learn of these fantastic ideas that they can bring in their everyday life. And these episodes, of course, are brought to you by Mindvalley. When you go to mindvalley.com forward slash superhuman, you get to discover the transformational education that we get to deliver where we bring the best technology, the best teachers, and ensure that it teaches you what leads to a truly incredible life. Thanks again for tuning in and watching the show. And until next time, stay superhuman. My name is Jason Campbell, and this is Superhumans at Work, a Valley podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.